0: Welcome to the Connected Generation. My name is Nikia Anani and I'm your host. This is episode 53 and I'm sure you guys are like, Nikia is always saying this episode is amazing. And so (laughs) I do always say the guests that come on are amazing, but this one is incredibly important. So this week I'm joined by Rochelle Clark, who is the founder of a consultancy called Succession Strength. And Rochelle helps family businesses to deal with crisis of continuity. What does that mean? Essentially, what do you do in a situation where, for instance, the founder dies unexpectedly, suddenly, as a next gen, when you're having to plan a funeral and having to figure out a business that you might never have known much about, for instance, if you were on the sidelines, not operational in the business, how do you come up with a continuity plan after? the death of a founder. I appreciate it's a really difficult topic, but absolutely essential. These are troubling times and these are really important topics for us to really get grapple with. If you're a founder, this is for you. If you're a next gen, this is for you. If you're a non-family staff, this is for you. What I loved about this episode is that Rochelle came with an inside experience of having navigated a similar situation. So she unpacks her personal journey as a family business insider when a family member of hers passed unexpectedly and she had to essentially be faced with a similar situation, thinking about continuity in the event of grief, in the event of crisis, and having to be agile, flexible, and move the business forward. So please listen in. It's really dense, it's really rich, and I think this is one that even I have to listen to multiple times to extract all the meat. Thank you so much. God bless you. Hi, Michelle. Welcome to The Connected Generation. It's awesome to have you today.
1: It's so great to be here, Niki.
0: Yes. How's 2021 been treating you?
1: What can I say? After a year like 2020, I make no predictions. (laughs) I just
2: Indeed. (laughs)
0: <laughs> oh gosh! Indeed, this decade has just thrown us a spanner in the works, and this pandemic with its many mutations and what have you is just Absolutely. trying to keep it positive in the midst of all the negativity.
1: Absolutely, positivity and flexibility. I think those are going to be the name of the game for 2021, and we'll see what it brings. But I am hopeful.
2: Yes, that's
0: great. That's awesome. So, tell us more about Rochelle and the journey you've had in life to where you are today, your established succession strength. I want to know more about how you got to where you are today.
1: Absolutely. I'm Rochelle. As you know, I was born in South America, a little country by the name of Guyana. That's where I was born, grew up, went to high school, but then I went to university in the U.S. After undergrad, I worked for a number of years in consulting before I then went back and I got my MBA from the Wharton School. After that, I went into consumer goods, which was great, a great strategy role. And it was a very, I wouldn't say challenging, but a very intriguing career that I really enjoyed. In one of my last stints in the corporate world, I would say I was in charge of the operations of a fast-moving consumer goods company. That was very interesting to see things not only from a strategic standpoint in terms of creating strategy, but actually bringing those strategies to life. And I think that's where a little bit of a fork in the road happened, because it was during that experience that I had what I would say was almost a crisis of continuity in one of Mm. my family's own businesses. Owner passed away unexpectedly, as debts usually are. His daughter, while she was preparing, she was just not ready yet to take over the business. This was
0: in your family, you said? This was in my own family.
1: Wow. Right. Mm -hmm. So I found myself flying home from the funeral frantically putting a business continuity plan in place to keep the operations of the business going. Because Uh you have to remember, we were planning a funeral and trying Mm. to figure out this business all at the same time. Unfortunately, the person who had all of the answers was literally six feet under. (laughs) So it was everyone trying to put the pieces of the puzzle together. And in my corporate career, I was very familiar with continuity plans, etc. Unfortunately, one was not put in place Before, we needed it, but we were still able to salvage some of the operational areas of the business by having a plan in place. That, I think, was a major eye-opener for me, because that's the moment that I really recognized that a lot of businesses, particularly family-owned businesses, are really, really vulnerable to unplanned events. And this is what really sparked the interest in me to assist, particularly family-owned businesses, because I felt that impact firsthand but also all businesses when it comes to continuity planning. And to be quite honest, I think the events of 2020 have really taught us that we need to have a plan in place for the unplanned. That has been my journey. So after that event, that really led me to do some introspection. And as a result of that introspection, I started my business, my company, while I was still in my corporate job. But then I made the big decision a few years ago to continue to go solo. And I think that I have enjoyed the journey so far. It's been intriguing, lots of lessons learned along the way, but it's been, it's something that I'm truly am passionate about.
0: I think your work is so important. As you said, family businesses are typically quite prone to, what was the phrase you said? The unplanned. Yes. Yes. Business continuity is so key. I just want to know more like along that journey, moving from corporate to Succession strengths, what obstacles did you face and how well, did you overcome those?
1: Well, the thing is, when it comes to the corporate world versus a world of entrepreneurship, it's almost like you need to have two completely different minds, mm-hmm. right? Two completely different mindsets. You're not going to have a prescribed career path. You're not going to have a built-in network of accountability around you. Right. All of which are present typically in the corporate world. Right. You have some milestones and you know what those milestones are going to be. You hit those and then you proceed. Or you have a manager or peers really helping to keep you in check and and you have that level of accountability. When you move into an entrepreneurial venture, once you embark on an entrepreneurial journey, you basically assume that role for yourself. So it's setting that destiny, it's working towards that destiny, but it's ensuring. As a person that you, A, know what you don't know and take steps to fill those gaps proactively. So it's a lot of sitting back and learning from those who have gone before, right? Your idea, yes, maybe your own, but the execution of that idea, and ultimately it's execution where it counts. That's where it usually counts. The execution of that idea may be the phase that you need a little bit of guidance on, Right. So there could be a learning curve, I think, in making that shift from corporate world to the entrepreneurial world. But it's a lot of fun. I think there's one thing that all entrepreneurs have, and this is the ability to create. And once they see the fruits of their labor really come to life, I think that's really invigorating. And it helps you get over the slumps when things may not be going as you might have planned. But I suppose it's the same as giving birth. This is your product. So you do everything to ensure that, A, it Mm -hmm. is what you wanted and hoped. And Mm. yeah, you really sacrifice, make sacrifices for it to ensure that it succeeds.
0: Wise words. You said it's important to know what you don't know and take steps to fill those and find those that have gone before us and essentially learn from them. It's so important. And essentially, you mentioned that issues are around mindset strategy and execution. And one of my mentors often says that 90% of entrepreneurs when their business is not doing well is mindset issues. Yeah. Getting that right entrepreneurial mindset takes time to work on. And what was your experience in that regard?
1: I absolutely agree. And you mentioned something, Nikkei, that I think is important to highlight. And that is having mentors and having that, I would say, a personal board of directors. Mm-hmm. It can be a truly humbling experience because indeed you don't know a lot. Well, Mm. you don't know many things, right? So having that sounding board, having someone really checking, not necessarily checking you, but helping to kick the tires and kick the wheels on some of Mm. the ideas and help you to go a level deeper. This can be for the business, but also personally. And that gets back to your question when it comes to mindset. So critical, they say that entrepreneurs sometimes are irrationally positive or irrationally, um, you know, yeah, about right. mm-hmm. but sometimes you need to be, you just need yeah. to have that additional layer of positivity because you know that the road is not going to be the smoothest. And the thing that gets you across those humps, those bumps along the way is your level of positivity because mm-hmm. you are the one who is steering the ship. Mm-hmm right? If you lack that energy, then A, you're not able to energize those around you who are helping to bring this idea to fruition in the first place. And secondly, I equate it to a rocket ship that's taking off from the earth. You need so much force, particularly initially, to Mm -hmm. ensure that that rocket ship is launched and remains in orbit And that typically is the level of positivity that entrepreneurs bring to their ventures just because they recognize that that is what is required to overcome some of the unpleasant and not so positive elements of the journey. So the mindset, I think, is really, really important. And and not to the point of being realistic, but sometimes being irrationally unrealistic when it comes to being positive.
0: And you made a really apt point, the analogy, the metaphor of the rocket ship taking off. And that's the point where that positivity is needed the most. Because for me, I warred a lot internally, mindset-wise. It was literally warring. Every day it was like, you have to constantly affirm yourself, constantly remind yourself of the vision, constantly seek guidance from mentors. But There's an inflection point you go past where it's then kind of get used to being uncomfortable. You get used to being the discomfort of entrepreneurship and you just carry on doing it. It's just, it becomes a lifestyle. It's that personal development journey that you alluded to.
1: Absolutely. And I'll tell you, when I initially started out, maybe you relate to this or some of the listeners, one of the moves moving from corporate into entrepreneurship depends on the journey that you've had in the corporate world. But my experience was that I was relatively accustomed to getting, you know, lots of positive feedback and always being ahead of the curve and being, performing exceptionally well. (laughs) Yes, of course, there were instances where I was not performing exceptionally well. But for the most part, my experience in the corporate world was you come in, you deliver and, you you know, you're killing it, as they say. (laughs) Welcome to entrepreneurship. I think you learn very quickly. That yeah. it's not as positive all of yeah. the time, right? You will have to learn. You'll have to take your knocks, as they say, without losing that enthusiasm. Mm-hmm. So when you face rejection, how do you react to it? Are you able to bounce back and keep it going? Because division will die if you completely cave every time you hear no or every time things don't go the way yeah. that you planned.
0: So, so, so true. I can talk about this for <laughs> days, but... <laughs> Back to your work in Succession Strength, how do you actually help family businesses?
1: So there are a number of things that we focus on. First and foremost, when I was setting up the company, this was really important to me based on my own experience. When we started out, I said, there must be an element that speaks to business continuity. Hmm. So from the very beginning, it was almost like the, uh, as they say, the redheaded stepchild, right? (laughs) That didn't really fit. It was a little bit difficult to explain and people didn't really get why business continuity was even in the same discussion as succession, Mm. but it really was about protecting the value of your business. If you want to see it grow, if you want to see it succeed into the next phase of its life cycle. Mm. So for me, you can't grow something unless you have protected it. Right. So this is why for me, they fit together so perfectly. Of course, based on the events of the last year, people are seeing that, oh, it really makes sense having these plans in place for the unplanned. But to be quite honest, at least 50% of businesses are going to face some sort of unplanned disruption. Mm -hmm. It's usually death. It's usually disability. It's usually divorce, disagreements. So those five, 50% of businesses will face one of those five. It behooves business owners in particular to ensure that they have a plan in place for when the unplanned hits. And folks may say, you know, well, that's great, but how would a plan have helped with this whole COVID situation? No one could have predicted it. No, and that's right. You could not have predicted it. But what that plan does is that it automatically shifts your business into an automatic plan B. Mm -hmm. So you have a plan in place for the operations. it's almost like flipping a switch. Right. In case this happens, this is how we're going to keep the operations running. What that does is it helps free up the mental capacity of the key decision makers. Mm-hmm. So in that moment of stress, when people around are, are really perhaps freaking out and losing their minds and emotions are running high and perhaps you're losing money. That's not the best frame of mind, typically, to be making decisions about the business, particularly the small decisions. And there's something called decision fatigue.
0: Oh, yeah. Tell me about that. Right. <laughs> Yeah. If
1: you have to make every True. single decision for this business, then you're not thinking strategically,
0: yeah.
1: right? You can't be present to think about how will this business react if you're thinking about, oh, where do we relocate or how do we relocate or what's the plan B if we can't accept invoices via the computer system, mm-hmm. right? Or there's a disruption. Who's the person who's going to contact the clients or the customers? With a business continuity plan, all of that is already documented and the staff is already aware of what needs to happen so operations can continue so that the key decision makers are mentally free to make those strategic decisions to then keep, react and respond. Mm. And you actually find that a lot with your local hospital, your local bank, right? They are required by the government to have business continuity plans in place and it's Mm -hmm. for this reason.
0: And banks, I think.
1: Yes, banks as well, Mm, 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 right? mm. The last thing you want is that in a crisis, your bank doesn't know how to react (laughs) or your hospital doesn't know how to react. So there's a reason that governments mandate that certain companies or certain industries have business continuity plans in place. Mm. Why should it be any different from a regular business owner? Mm right, who has family relying on the income of that business, employees relying on the income of that business. And it's a situation where the impact of a disruption hits much more heavily, I would say, on the immediate members of that community.
0: Indeed. I mean, this pandemic has just been a nightmare, absolute nightmare. It's moved from being, for me and a number of my friends, an economic disruption to public health to now... Personal tragedy where people have lost loved ones, very close loved ones. And I know a number of my friends where the patriarch, unfortunately, has passed away. And now the next gens are having to work on the business and the wealth. So, could you speak to that situation where, unfortunately, the worst has happened and assume there's no business continuity plan in place? Mm-hmm. What steps can next gens take now? to move the business forward. So
1: I'll take a step back and first of all, ask this question. Are we assuming that the next gen has been involved in the business in any capacity or are they coming in cold?
0: Coming in cold. Most cases, most next gens have been on the sidelines, have their own businesses and maybe had conversations with mom and dad whilst Mm -hmm. they were alive and would chip in from the sidelines, but were not active in the business on a day-to-day basis. Yeah.
1: Okay. So that's a good question. So what I would say is working with families in situations like that, and it was a relatively similar situation that my own family went through, what you have to recognize is that a lot of the strength will not come from that new gen who's stepping in, right? So it's a combination of humility that they need to have, but also command, command and humility, right? Because you need to reinforce two things. A, that this business still has someone at the helm, Mm
2: -hmm. right?
1: There needs to be a firm North star for the business that inspires the confidence, not only of the employees, but also of members of the community, right? Your customers, your key customers who might be in a position where they're perhaps losing faith in the business because, Hmm. well, who's going to run things, right? Mm -hmm. It inspires the confidence of your banker, right? Mm -hmm. Because the patriarch may have had lines of credit taken out that were personally guaranteed, et cetera. And they may be stepping back or sitting back saying, well, wait a minute, if there's no one strong enough stepping in here, then perhaps we should just call the, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever." Mm -hmm. exactly right. So it's a combination of two things. A, that person stepping in, and this is probably going to be a very long conversation, but Mm -hmm. they're relatively summarized, but still drive the point home. Empathy, right? So having that command, someone needs to be at the helm. So if it's a family with multiple heirs, and A, cut out the infighting. Hmm. If there are four or five or six brothers or sisters, you need to align, align quickly and get one person at the helm. Everyone kind of shut up, at least publicly. I hate to say this because, you know, of course there's that element of hearing everyone's voice, but I consider this a crisis that needs a relatively quick response. So A, everyone align very quickly behind whomever Is going to be assuming that position of being at the helm then once that person is at the helm it's not about i am joe i'm stepping in i'm now at the helm listen to me hear me roar absolutely not my (laughs) brother or my sister you're now coming into the game you're now stepping into the game so what you need to do is take a moment have things run the way they have been running but now the onus is on you to very very quickly come up to speed with how things are running. The last decision that you probably want to make is a strategic decision around the employees at this point in time. It's way too soon. Unless, of course, there's something major and you recognize, okay, there's someone who absolutely needs to go. I would say defer making a decision like that until a few months in.
2: Mm.
1: The most important thing is to keep the operations of this business going, to instill that confidence. A decision on if, 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 with the existing team in place, your predecessor was able to get the business to this point,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: right? You're able to survive another six months to a year with that team in place, having everyone do what they have been doing, right? So the message to the business and to the employees should be, there is someone at the helm. Don't you need to worry about that? Kind of keep doing what you have been doing in the way that you have been doing it. What that person, the successor stepping in then needs to do is very, very quickly come up to speed with what everyone is doing and how Mm -hmm. it fits into the picture. Because a decision will need to be made, not immediately, but then let's say six to 12 months if it's necessary to make such a quick decision around the team and the organization. Mm -hmm. But then that person needs to understand the financial structure of the business. Who has access to the bank accounts? Who has access to, was there a life insurance that covers death or key person insurance in place that covers something like this, right? Who has access to all of that? right? So those are the immediate tasks that need to be taken care of. They can't be making strategic decisions about who does what in the business. Keep the business running, Hmm. right? As much as possible. So those are the two things that I would say, but also you need to recognize that you need to be there for the employees because they may be feeling at a loss as well. Hmm. You may be feeling at a loss as well. Indeed. (laughs) It's
2: grief, right?
1: Right? It's grief. So it's about getting that support, being open, but still ensuring that folks can feel the presence of someone leading the team. Otherwise, you stand losing a lot of your key employees who may then say, well, I don't know if there isn't even a future for this business. Hmm. In some cases, what you find is that a successor coming in may need to, just for the time being for a year or so, agree to give, let's say, a bonus to some of the key employees Right So that they stick around, because this is usually a time when competitors may be seeking to poach, mm-hmm. some employees who perform really well. This can be the point as well, where some of the employees themselves say, "I don't know about this business," or "I don't know about this new leadership. I may as well just go try make my luck someplace else." So they may need to be incentivized to stick around for a prescribed period of time to ensure that things are going at a smooth stead. So there are a number of things and there are a number of levers that a successor coming in needs to pull. But first of all, there needs to be someone at the head giving that level of assurance to key stakeholders. These are your financial stakeholders. These are your major customers. These are your major suppliers. Very, very quickly, they need to know, okay, this has happened, but this is the plan B. Even if there's no firm plan in place, They need to know that there is someone who is capable of making decisions on behalf of the business. The next thing that I would say is don't alienate your key employees, the predecessors, trusted advisors, whomever kind of put humble yourself. (laughs) I'm not Mm -hmm. saying that the person coming in is not humble, but recognize that you may need to take guidance from those people, at least initially for the first X number of months. Yes, of course. A lot of the advice that you may get might be self-serving, right? Mm -hmm. In a way that only benefits them. But by being open and by being very present in the business, you will recognize whether or not the advice that you're getting is beneficial for the business. And you can make the decision on whether that person will continue in the organization, but you can make that months down the road. Now it's about being a sponge and learning as much as possible about the operations of the business. So, that you can keep it going. So, that's the number one thing keep the business going.
0: (laughs) Do you know, I think your experience is really shining through. So much wisdom has come out from this. And a lot of it might be counterintuitive. Yes. Because for a lot of the rising generation, it's like, okay, I would have loved to do A, B, C, D in the business. And now, fortunately, dad's passed on. And this is the opportunity to take that business to the next (laughs) level. But you're saying, no, 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 not slow down, not, not immediate. immediately. Keep the ship going first. Yeah. Prove yeah. continuity, demonstrate to the community and to wider stakeholders that we've got this ship under control. Not, it won't completely capsize. Learn from the existing team. Don't make assumptions that whatever labels you may have had in your mind or what have you, learn first. And then looking forward, look to potentially make changes strategically to the business. Can I ask what this must be a very devastating thing for families to go through and then having to navigate leading a business during a crisis, during a personal crisis, a business crisis and a public health crisis. And I've shared the story before, I had a friend that lost her father and the business unfortunately just completely collapsed a few months after her death. What role do you Advisors play in this process? Uh, What kind of advisors can help successors that are stepping into such situations in such process? That's a very good question.
1: Typically, we work with families and business on three primary areas communication, governance, and successor preparation. In a normal scheme of things, every successor needs a board of advisors. That board of advisors helps them to get up to speed with the running of the business. So this is what to expect in terms of business operations. And typically there's someone who is not a family member, who is Mm -hmm. not engaged in the business on the day-to-day, but who's able to provide that third-party external counsel. If they didn't have a board of advisors before, and we work with the successor to help them figure out who the best people would be or what the profile is like Mm -hmm. for this type of advice, if they had that before, that's great, that continues. If they did not have that before, now would be the time to get that advice. But you have to also recognize that it can be a very overwhelming time Mm -hmm. for anyone stepping into those shoes, Mm -hmm. right? There's the personal side where you're figuring out there's this grief that you're still dealing with and how do we handle the family? Mm -hmm. There's the business. How do we keep the business running? But what I would say, delay major decisions on the business, particularly Mm -hmm. when it comes to a change in strategy. Once the business was going on a good keel and heading in a good direction, you could ideally wait, let's say three to five years before you make a major strategic decision. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Right. So keep that in mind. You don't have to decide immediately. You can Mm -hmm. do more harm than good. Right. In terms of folks, they need stability. Right. Mm -hmm. Is what I'm saying. Right. The sense of stability. Now, someone coming in, the types of advice that they need obviously depends on what skills they're coming in with.
2: Yeah.
1: If it's someone who has had some exposure to the business, then at the minimum, you would like someone from perhaps definitely with business experience, (laughs) right? To be advising them, right? So it's a third party who's not a family member, who's not intimately involved in the business itself, Mm -hmm. right? Who can provide counsel in a way that the successor doesn't feel that they're being judged. It's someone whom they're comfortable with,
2: Mm -hmm. who they
1: can open up with, And who would be open to providing counsel? Typically, that tends to be someone who's older, Mm -hmm. right? Who has achieved and has run their own business before without knowing the specific of that person, ensure that person has had experience running a business before. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Everyone has an opinion, right? (laughs) Let's be honest. Everyone has an opinion. The last thing you want to do is tap your best friend on the shoulder for advice on how to run your business. Right. So ensure that you're getting counsel from people who have gone before Mm -hmm. and who have done something like this before, but also someone who is open and willing to provide that guidance and advice. And what we have found is that typically members who are a little bit older are concerned about their legacy. They've been there, they've done it, and they're willing to share their experiences. But you also would like someone who is not very dogmatic about their way of being and doing. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's providing the advice, but with a loose grip, let you figure out your own way, figure out your own path. But the onus is on the successor to manage the relationship usually. Hmm. Yes, there are touch points, but it's the successor who has to show the advisor that there is value in what Hmm. the advisor is bringing to the table. So it's, yeah, okay, all right, based on our last conversation, this is what you suggested, or this is the way that you would handle this particular scenario. You know, I've thought about it, and I like these elements of what you were saying. So I applied those elements to my situation, and these were the results. Don't have the person waste your time coming in if A, you're not going to do any of what they say, or B, you're not going to follow up. You have to follow up, touch back in. Hey, Margaret, you said X or Y or Z. This is the way that I'm thinking of putting it into place based on our situation and our scenario here. These are the roadblocks that I seem to be having along the way. If it were you, how would you approach a situation like this? Have you faced something like this before? What was your, how did you handle it? You may not handle it in the exact same way, but in your own way, ensure that you're taking their guidance and taking their counsel and applying it don't only have one advisor, but have multiple. Recognize that your advisors may come at the same issue in different ways, Mm -hmm. right? So you need to manage that as well without necessarily offending or making one feel as though their time is useless, (laughs) (laughs) right? I mean, let's be honest here, but someone, a successor coming in needs support, right? And it's not the support of family members. Remember, they may also have their own agenda. It's not the support of people working in the business. They may also have their own agenda. Independent third party who has run a business successfully before is the person that they would be seeking out and at least get two to three,
2: Mm
1: -hmm. right? Two to three to start, but then based on the need. If going down the road, you recognize that, okay, I really am going to need to make decisions regarding the employees and more in the HR arena, then you reach out and you may have a short-term advisor to help you navigate something like that, Mm -hmm. right? If you're going through an issue where you see, wow, there's a lot of legal stuff here. I have my own lawyer, but I need that lawyer perhaps is more transactional than advisory.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And let's make a distinction here. When it comes to the professionals that you're working with, there is a difference. Some of them are executors, right? They're very transactional. They can get whatever you need done. They can create a balance sheet, an income statement, whatever you need to get done, this contract, whatever. But they're not necessarily advisors, Hmm. right? So they can be accountants, but they're not financial advisors. So they can execute the technical parts of what's required, but they're not so good in terms of giving you options and helping you weigh the pros and cons of those options. Figure out what you need, figure that out very, very quickly, right? In some cases, if you're coming in and your background is finance and you're comfortable with making those decisions, then that's fine. However, if you need someone to advise, ensure that as you're recruiting these professionals, you're asking the right questions to ensure. Mm -hmm. that they're able to provide advice and they can be very, very competent transactionally. But if you need advice, ensure that you're hiring for advice as well.
0: That point you've just made, the last point is so apt because, like you said, it's gaining clarity as to what do you need, what services do you need as a family business, and then looking for the right advisor, whether that be or an executor, to do that properly. Quite often, there's a lot of marketing spiel on people's websites, but really getting good references from people within the industry, friends, word of mouth, and really drilling down to what was the result they created for their clients to ensure that it's in alignment with what result you are desiring for your family business is such an important point. I want to take you up on, you said initially, once the worst happens and the successor has to step into business or who'd hold down the fort, You mentioned no infighting within the family, really gain (laughs) alignment straight away. That sounds really easy (laughs) in theory, but families fight. That's what we do. We all have lots of emotion and we're all very different and we're all very passionate about what we want. And particularly at a time where it's emotionally charged and everyone's grieving and some may be at different stages of their grief. What practical advice based on your experience do you have speaking to that situation? How can we really gain alignment and really be a healthy family and not enable this crisis to pull the family apart?
1: You're absolutely right. It's easier said than done. In a situation like this, knowing what is at stake is very, very important, right? So your livelihood is at stake. The livelihood of all of the employees of the business is at stake right? This decision that you're making can be considered an interim decision. Yes, everyone has not been vetted and, and all of that, but you need, as they say, a spokesperson or someone to instill confidence in the key stakeholders. So in the initial consultation or work with the family, it's about guys. you understand that there might be merits to having one person take over versus another. At this current point, we just need a figurehead for this business to instill confidence in our stakeholders. Can we at least align around that? Even if this is not the decision that's going to last forever and a day, we need to have one person representing the family and we need to align around that. In the background, we'll take the time to ensure that the right person is selected. And you have to recognize and understand that the person who takes that careholder role Mm. I would say, may not even want it. (laughs) Let's Mm. be honest. Mm. They may have their own business going and they're just doing this because, as I mentioned, everyone else is so dependent, not everyone else, but so many people are dependent on the success of this business and the continuity of this business. That person may not even want the role for a long time. Mm. So having a caretaker leader right, or a caretaker stakeholder is really, really important because it provides a level of stability for everyone around the table. Now, as a family, if you can't agree on the fact that we want to keep this business going, and in order to do that, we need stability, that's where it starts. Once you have that agreement, then you find that a lot of the individual issues melt into the background, at least when it comes to this initial decision. Yes, they may come up later on when you're doing that much more thorough vetting to figure out, okay, who is really going to be the person to carry this business on? But in that initial period, that's very, very critical for the survival of the business. It's about just saying, okay, who is this person going to be? And this is the amount of time that we need them to be caretaking for the business, essentially. Now, many families may not be willing to publicly announce that this is just a caretaker person taking over for obvious Mm. reasons. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Right. So it's a matter of inside the family, you need to recognize the situation that you're in very, very quickly and come to some agreement that the good for the whole is better than our individual benefit. Right. The benefit Mm -hmm. for the whole is better than the individual benefit. So let's kind of. Fall back just to ensure that we can survive, to even have this conversation about who takes over. And then we can kind of duke things out, as they say, a little bit later on down the road. But right now, it's about stability, Mm. right? And initial continuity. So that initial discussion, while it may be, while it can be contentious, have the understanding, let everyone have the understanding that A, what we're trying to achieve is bigger than all of us. Mm. B, this perhaps is just a temporary situation and then maybe you can define, okay, how long is this going to be for? But then C, during that temporary caretaker position, as a family, you need to be doing the work to select the most appropriate person, mm. right? You can't say, okay, we're going to have Melanie be the head of the business so that things can go well and things can go smoothly and we have that continuity, And she will be in a position for one year before we then select the most appropriate person. Of course, it can be inside the family, it can be outside of the family, but the family needs to be doing the work with the right advisors to select the most appropriate person by the end of that period. What you have sometimes are families who may say, okay, well, you know, (laughs) I don't know, Thomas is going to take over the, at least internally in the family, they know it's a caretaker role. Thomas is going to take over the role, but then they don't do the work to select the right
2: person. Right person. Hmm.
1: So at the end of Thomas's period there's still that gap because the work has not been done to select the appropriate person to lead the business. And that's when more infighting can really ensue because then people say, "But I thought it was just going to be for one year, but he's still here and it's been a year and a half, but the work was not done." So it's twofold, right? Let's plug the gap that we have right now while we do the work to select the right person.
0: Yeah, really wise, really wise advice there. And I guess the work may come in the form of building governance, building having family governance. meetings. Yes. Yeah.
1: There can be, as you say, the family dynamics, there can be a lot of discord that needs to be sorted out as well, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Let's not shy away from that. So it's doing the work, working with an advisor. Sometimes it may need to get to the point of working with a family therapist mm-hmm. to clear the way. Right. Sometimes we have had to have clients work with the therapist just to clear some of those roadblocks so that the path is clearer for us to then make progress when it comes to the family and business. Mm. Once that's clear, it's about, as you mentioned, getting the right governance set up right, to ensure that the issues of the family don't play out on the stage of the business.
0: Really wise. and. This process is a long process. It's not something that's an overnight 90 days. It's no. how you do this in 90 days. And the working family business often is a long process and it's just to be patient. And as you mentioned, remember the wider good, what's at stake? And let that be a galvanizer and unifier within the family. So we have a mutually aligned goal and objective as a family.
1: In some cases there may be actually two persons and not one that are at the helm in this caretaker Mm -hmm. role or this caretaker capacity. In a situation like that, what's most important is that the roles and responsibilities are very, very clear. Mm -hmm. So there's not that overlap and there's not that potential for infighting. Employees need to know who is the person that I need to go to, to have X or Y or Z answered. Stakeholders outside of the business need to know there is someone at the helm of this business who is taking it forward. Those roles, if it is that it's split, I'm not saying you're going to invite the whole family and have everyone take over as a caretaker. No, one, maximum two. If it's two, they need to have the capabilities that are distinct enough that it's justified to the outside world. One may be more versed in public or government relations if that is very important for the business. That's what I mean. One person may be more operational. The other person can serve very well as the face of the business. If Mm -hmm. it's an external facing business where they really, really rely, for example, if they have government contracts and all of that, that rely on that particular skill set, then you may want to have two so that, right? But those are extreme circumstances where you need to. Usually it's not advisable to have two people at the helm, but if that's the case, ensure that their capabilities justify not only internally, but externally, because now everyone's watching for that stability.
0: Wow, you've really, really given so much wisdom and nuggets and tips um, today. What are you working on that you're excited about?
1: We continue our work in supporting families in business, particularly when it comes to ensuring that the business moves into that next life cycle successfully, we continue to work on our communication, working with families and business, ensuring that members of the next generation are really prepared for assuming their roles. But one thing that I think is really, really exciting about, particularly when it comes to that arena, and it's a meld of the conversational work that we do and successor preparation, what we have found is that this also is a process, preparing successors. Assuming a new role Indeed. is a process. Indeed. And what we have found is that there are very specific things that even before a, a successor should never assume a role without doing their own due diligence
2: mm-hmm. on what
1: that role entails. Right. And by that, I mean, relatively basic questions. You're asked to take over a business. What are you taking over? Mm-hmm. What do we own? Do You have a clear line of sight as to what this business owns. If you cannot have an open conversation with, let's say it's the owner or parent, about what do we own as a family? If you cannot have that conversation, consider that a red flag because you don't know what you are inheriting to take over. You don't have that full line of sight. Those types of conversations, you need to go deep even before you say yes when it comes to taking over a business. You need to understand what you're taking over Right. So a full lay of the land. You remember Lion King. Let's talk about this. (laughs) Let's talk about the Lion King. (laughs)
0: Part
1: one, part one, one, where (laughs) the father takes the son up and and they take a look at the entire landscape to say, this is what we own from here to Mm -hmm. here. And one day Mm -hmm. you will take this over. Having that line of sight, right, of course, you know, that's an animated series, but bringing that to real life and really grounding that in reality is really important Mm -hmm. because what you find is that within the family enterprise, the person coming in may say, well, you know, we're just taking over the family business, not knowing that there are other elements that also need to be taken care of, other elements that perhaps contribute even more than the operational family business does. And it's in knowing what they own and what they will be taking over and they're then able to say, all right, these are the skills that I need to bring to the table. And these are where my potential shortcomings are. Mm-hmm. Running a business is one thing, but if the foundation is also a part of this whole family enterprise, maybe I don't have those skills. So how do I prepare myself? So this is really something that you're excited about. Of course, coming out of last year, we've seen a lot of wind behind business continuity. Mm -hmm. And business continuity planning. So, we have the online platform where companies and businesses can go on and create their own plans. And that's continuity strength. So, they can do that and it's an automated platform. But yeah, we continue to remain excited about ensuring that the next generation and that businesses themselves are prepared to successfully transition into the next stage of their life cycles.
0: Wow, incredible. And if anyone wants to reach you, Rochelle, how best can they get hold of you?
1: check us out on the website. It's www.successionstrength.com. But they're more than happy to follow me on LinkedIn as well. I am relatively active there. So they can reach out, send an email info at as well.
0: Amazing. Amazing. Thank you so much.
1: You are most welcome, Nikkei. I enjoyed the conversation as
0: usual.
2: <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> That was just incredibly important. And just for me, it will be on replay for some time. I absolutely love how Rochelle has turned what was a season of pain into her life purpose and become an advocate for succession strength. That in itself is such a powerful succession strength. Is such a powerful tagline and how we as family business owners can deal with Crises of continuity. I just thought it was very important for us to have this conversation. Many of us are going through grief. This has been a really horrible period. Grief is affecting pretty much everyone around me. I just wanted to say some words of encouragement. Firstly, to go through the motions, not to neglect the negative emotion, the presence of negative emotion is not negative in itself, it's part of the process remain positive, it's really difficult, I appreciate, but just any light you can find, find it. Any little thing that gives you joy, do it. And then to remember that grief is natural and it's because we've lost loved ones that we love so dearly, but oftentimes they mark new beginnings. They're often brighter beginnings ahead of seasons of endings. So I just wish you strength, I wish you peace, I wish you joy and take good care. God bless you, thank you.